The spirit of performance defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. As money does start right now, live from the NASDAQ market side, I'm Joe Kern, and I said I'm not coming back until we have 500 points at least, and look what happened today, 500 points. I am in for Melissa Lee. Our traders on the desk are Kim Seymour, Brian Kelly, Karen Finneman, Guy Adami. Plus, we have special guest Mike Wilson, chief equity strategist at Morgan Stanley, joining us. Tonight on the show is a huge day for the markets. Green across the screen, but there's one group of stocks that could be in for a reality check. We will explain. Plus, the FANG stocks showing signs of life and how. NASDAQ up almost 3%. Uh, we did have the antitrust apocalypse yesterday. I don't know what it was today. Short covering maybe. A top technician will be here to tell us why the worst might be over for this group. We're going to start tonight with stocks catching Fed fever. The Dow surging over 500 points, closing at the highs of the session. It's best day since January 4th, two days before my birthday. Techs mm. and financials leading the way as Fed Chair Jerome Powell said it will do whatever it takes to keep the economic expansion on track. I didn't believe there still was a Fed put. So did the Fed put just save the markets or is this Fed fever getting too hot to handle when they went on pause that came back from December 20%. 20%. So uh, you get a half a point. What's that worth? That must be worth That's something. A great question. And welcome, Joe. Thank you. Again, doing Thank yeoman's you. work. I don't show great up for less than 500, 500 points. 500. Up or down. Up or down. Tall bar. Right. right. So I'm we can only hope then for tomorrow. Basis, yeah. I mean, another 500 tomorrow, you're back. Is that what you're don't saying? Don't count us out. An absolute move or it's an up move of 500? I like up. Okay. I like up. Up's know. better than down. Well, so is the, did the Fed put, is the Fed save the market? For Obviously for today it did. Now, Tim to this yesterday. The conditions were absolutely ripe for a move like this in both bonds and equities. And Karen spoke about this a couple weeks ago in terms of if the Fed were to have language of this magnitude, it would be very bullish for the market. I think it's bullish for a day or a couple days, but again, I still think we're headed back down to 2650. Now, I know we got to 2730 or thereabouts yesterday. It's only 80 or so handles. I think that's still the move. I think the fundamental problems that are taking us down are still exist. And the Fed can they can talk all they want, but I'm not certain that they're as powerful as they were maybe a year or so ago. Well, you know, whether the Fed is right or wrong in doing what they may or may not do, um, I think markets are so far ahead of the Fed right now, Joe. I, I don't think the Fed told us any of that. And in fact, what was interesting about today is they had a two day Fed kind of a research meeting going on in Chicago where the tone and even really the, 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 the speeches themselves were already out there. And you got that sense that the market was reading a lot into this. If I go back over Charlie Evans, if I go over Vice Chair Clarida, if I even listen to Kashkari, who's the, the uber dove of this group, not one of these guys said we're ready to, to cut anytime soon. That's what I heard. And I think if markets really are expecting the Fed to jump in here, where we've averaged 3.2 percent GDP, where we've got unemployment at 3.8 percent. By the way, I'm quoting Clarida. 
uh, in that. I think the market's offsides on this. Well, I'll tell you the one thing that the market could be onsides, though. That meeting and subsequent other meetings that they've had this year have all been about the new policies that they're going to come out with and potentially inflation targeting. So they are going to stay a lot easier for a lot longer until they get inflation above 2% and probably let it run above 2%. If the market is reacting to that, then I do think that's relatively bullish for stocks. The market is in a position where it could get disappointed if they think, well, listen, we're going to get 50 basis, 25 basis points, and that's it. But if the market's reacting to inflation targeting, then I think this is sustainable. Yeah, and even with tariffs, we had a, a discussion this morning. Tariffs, it's like your mother, your sister. You bring inflation, but it causes a slowdown. So what's uh, Charlie Evans on our show uh, this morning on Squawk Box was talking about, we've got room. We've got room with inflation. Even with the tariffs, we're not necessarily worried about that coming through. And they, they'd like to err on the high side of inflation. So are you saying, though, that there will be inflation and the Fed still won't do anything? Or there will be inflation I and think that's okay that, and the Fed will have to do something? I think that they'd like to err above 2% yes, is what agreed. I was hearing from Charlie Evans. Right. right. I think they used to have will be data dependent. Now they say we'll be patient, which I hear as we'll let it go past 2%. Right. We don't need to stop. We don't need to react to that. So, I mean, I, you know, it's not shocking that we get what is, is interpreted as a little bit of, of dovish data. I think that given how badly the markets were oversold, this was a really nice rally, but we're only back to where we were Wednesday, right, after that horrific month. So it's good in the short term, but I'm still very concerned that we don't have a deal. This is the most I've been concerned in a while. I think that the longer the uncertainty is out there, the more difficult it is for businesses to feel confident and to spend, and then we get into this vicious cycle. And I don't think this really changes. But it, it sounds like we are all saying that today was all really mostly about the Fed, that there's not really a glimmer of trade, despite the fact that Mexico showing up in the White House. And, Chinese uh, ministry said some Something stuff that nice, seemed less... sort of, less mean. Well, we had Mike Wilson's colleague no. on this morning. In fact, Mike Wilson is here to uh, retail up uh, with the rest of the market, jumping nearly 3%. It's best day uh, since uh, January, uh, I believe. That brings us uh, to our chart of the day, S&P retail stocks nearing December lows. Uh, Mike, you can explain what this means first, and then I'll tell you, I memorized all your year-end targets. 3,000 will hit, 2,400 is the bear case, 2,700, because I did from, because your colleague was on this morning, <laughs> Andrew Slimmon. So yeah. I don't, your ears were burning all morning on uh, on That's good. Box. We got a double time today. That's great. It, it, so this chart that you're bringing, which shows some trouble in Consumerville, uh, this was before the rally today. You're yeah. sticking with it, though. This well, look, is, I mean, Tim, Tim already said it. The market is ahead of not only the Fed, they're ahead of the, 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 mar- the people talking about the market, right? So retail stocks are very early cycle, and they've been underperforming for quite a while. Now, this particular chart is an equal-weighted basket of retail stocks, so it doesn't, it's not just Amazon, right? It's a, it's a more balanced view. And this is telling you unequivocally that things are slowing in the domestic economy more than people think. Because right now, everybody's blaming it on trade. They're saying it's a global problem, right? But they're saying the U.S. economy is fine. And what I'm seeing from the marketplace and what we're seeing from some of the data, what the companies have been saying, is that actually the consumer is potentially slowing down more than people think. Now, going back to the Fed, um, you know, January 4th, it's interesting, January 4th was the last time they kind of hinted at a pause, right? And then we had this big 500-point rally, and we got that again today. There's a difference, however, between a pause and a cut. Okay, so when, you, when the Fed pauses after a long rate hiking <clears throat> campaign, which they completed, the market always rallies between 20 and 30 percent, and that's what we got this year. Okay, now if they're moving to a cut for not insurance reasons, but because things are slowing, that typically is not great for stocks. So I'm in guys' camp. I think 2650 is a pretty good number to think about. Um, I don't know how fast we're going to achieve that. 
Uh, my suspicion in the next three to six months, we're going to see more negative economic data, more negative earnings data, more trade uh, conflict potentially, and, not, and no resolution. And that could easily get us to 2650. So, so the other side of that, though, is all those negative things just makes the Fed more dovish and stocks go higher. Right. right? Is that you're saying that at some point the Fed loses its power to make the stocks go higher? Well, this, look, the question is, are we going to recession or not? Okay. And the risk of recession has gone up materially this year, even before the trade conflict was unresolved. Now, with the trade conflict being sort of, you know, spicy again, it does raise the risk that we could actually enter a very brief recession for a couple of quarters. And that, in that case, if the Fed's cutting rates, the curve steepens, you know, violently, but it's not typically a good sign for the broader market. OK, that's why early cycle stocks, by the way, led today, which is pretty interesting. So it's interesting. And by the way, you know, you, you talked about, Mike, that, that Jan 4th date. And since that point, retail stocks have underperformed the S&P by almost 16 percent, 16 percent relative to the S&P since Jan 4, which really speaks to to this dynamic. And I'll just say, look, whether the Fed's mandate is right or wrong, um, the Fed can be right down the fairway of what they're supposed to do and be totally wrong about the economy. They're not supposed to be anticipating. They're not supposed to be tactical. They're supposed to be late to the party. So that could be doubly bad for equities because you have a dynamic here where the Fed is looking at we all know when you know I'm, I was almost embarrassed to refer to GDP because we all know that's backward looking and so is the labor market we might be at peak labor but for the Fed this is a dynamic where the, their data says they should do absolutely zero right now and I, I reiterate that bond markets are way too far ahead of the Fed why can't uh, some of the consumer weakness you see being in the names that aren't uh, aren't transitioning from brick and mortar to digital? I mean, we, we saw the bifurcation of retailers two, three weeks ago. Some were awful, some were great. I, right. I mean, if we don't see a bad number on Friday, you're sticking with the possibility of a, of a recession in 2019 or, or early 2020? Yeah, uh, it really depends on how these dynamics play out with, with trade and some other things. That, yeah, I think the risk of recession is higher than normal, right? Any given year. Higher know, than normal. 15% is a typical... Is a typical right, benchmark. So where, it's, probably you, closer, it's probably closer to 30 plus. 30, for 2019. For, for the next 12 months. With 12 the, months. Starts okay. within the next 12 months, okay? Uh, now, um, with respect to the retail stocks, okay, to Tim's point again, they're already discounting this. They're already figuring out. The minute you enter a recession or a slowdown where the market thinks there's a recession, these stocks typically bounce. And they are still important for a broader read of the consumer because these stocks all rallied last year because there was a big fiscal stimulus, a tax cut for the consumer, and they spent it. And these stocks are now telling you that the comparisons are very difficult and we're going to have a harder time moving the extra inventory that's out there. So I think, it, I think these stocks are, are it's not just Amazon, okay? You can't just look at Amazon. These stocks are important about the health of the broader consumer, I think, and I think it's important to pay I mean, attention. Target was good, Walmart was good, but then you had Kohl's, Nordstrom Correct. were bad. The general merchandisers were worse and the discounters did better, which is typical behavior as you get closer right. to the end of a cycle. But it, looked, it still looked like it was more the, the ones that knew how to do digital and were making that move more quickly and spent the money a couple of years ago. Well, dollar stores, right, are not digital, right? That's a pure play right. on low-end consumer. But Target, low -end Walmart. But they play into the same thing, Joe, as you know. I mean, they're discounters, right? Walmart's a discounter. I mean, Target is a discounter. It's not the big general retailers that typically have seen the weakest action from the the consumer. I guess we're due, but I don't. I, so, other than consumer, what's that one other data point that shows you that this economy is, is ready to roll over? Because there, it's certainly a, a split right. on whether that's. So, our that's thesis has been that the U.S. is in a unique position, and we've talked about this extensively, which is that the fiscal stimulus, the timing of it, was actually the mistake, right? Now, the Fed had to jump on that last year because they didn't know how far this was going to go, so that added to the cocktail. But what the fiscal stimulus and the tariffs created were three excesses. In the, in the real economy. Inventory, which is everywhere now. 
We had a CapEx bubble last year because of all this extra money that was coming into corporate coffers, and they spent more than they normally would, so we got to reset that back to trend or below. And the third one is the one that will determine whether or not we go into recession, which is labor. So labor costs are higher. They're causing real problems for mid-small cap companies. That's why they're underperforming margins. Mm -hmm. And so now we don't know, but there's a chance that if things don't get better or companies start to get less confident, they will finally go to start firing people. And that will determine whether we have a recession or not. I thought it wasn't a one-year uh, benefit to corporations, number one. And number two, that the business investment was disappointing. That's, that's the knock on tax reform is that it didn't do what it was supposed to do. So you're saying that they did spend a lot and it was a one-time event? Well, there's a one-time shock. Okay. Now, there was, and it was a one-time benefit, right? They get to spend last year, they get the tax benefits of spending that. And the repatriation was a one-time shock. There's still more to repatriate, though, right? There's, there's more to repatriate, but generally speaking, my guess is you got the one-time bump. So it creates tough comparisons. You just ran above trend for four quarters. So to get back to trend, you got to probably run below trend, right? It's the, it's the argument around inflation. It's the opposite. So once again, let me just give you some raw numbers. Inflation, I'm sorry, inventories have led to about 3% benefit to GDP, over the last three quarters. Capital spending above trend has led to almost a similar amount, about 3% above GDP uh, benefits. So that's a 6% benefit to GDP from just those two areas alone that have to mean revert. That's six percentage points of GDP that have to come out over maybe two quarters, three quarters, four quarters, or five quarters. We don't know the answer. So that's why things are slowing. I don't think you can blame this all on trade. So does that make this so you, you had the sugar high, which is essentially, as you said, I hate that sugar high. Are you sure this is a sugar high? Well, I thought I'm we, sorry. We have I'm, changed, I'm, no, no, you're not. Term. He started <laughs> it. No, we, he we started pulled it. forward growth Correct. Um, and then got to a place where you layered in trade tariffs, which are whether they there's an impact of that or not. There's a there's a leading indicator type of business confidence that unquestionably is impacted whether it actually happens or not. That's right. Um, so you've got you know, a double-barreled dynamic at the end of a long cycle, which arguably at some point, I know they don't die of old age, but it's certainly we've been waiting for this moment. But that's what, that's, what, that's what a recession is. It's just correcting the excesses in the real economy. And we haven't had a lot of excesses in the real economy until last year. Once again, we don't know if it's going to tip, but we're, it's closer than I think people recognize. Oh, by the way, the market has recognized this all year. All right. right. It's not new news. Thank you, Mike Wilson uh, Thanks, Mike. of Morgan Stanley. Guy. Um, yes, sir. Recession this year. Ready for President Biden? Well, my, he's, he's getting elected this year. This is 19. No. no. If, there's a, if there's a recession in 2019, the whole uh, you know, narrative of a re-election for Donald Trump is in I think a lot hinges, the economy, obviously, right? market and the economy. I think yep. it, his, his re-election hinges on that. I think he's keenly aware of President Trump. With that said, you know, I have a view that market sell-offs cause recessions. Much different conversation for another show. In terms of what Mike said, you know, I'm a big fan of Mike's work. He does extraordinarily thoughtful work. I'm but? in this camp. But I'll say this in terms of trading. And we talked about this <laughs> yesterday while you were watching Jeopardy when we were doing this show. <laughs> Facebook yesterday traded almost four times normal volume, basically at a 50% retracement of the recent high and the low on December 24th. That gives you a real great opportunity to trade on the long side of a stock that's now gotten beaten up. The fundamentals haven't changed, but the trading environment may have for Facebook yesterday. Yeah. Wilson's buddy was much more. But you had one good year last one lucky year in 20, uh, 2018. Now you're, you know, OK, we'll see, Wilson. You, <laughs> you'll come on Squawk Box too, or is that too early for you sometime? <laughs> yeah. 
We, got, we have to take this guy. He says he's your boss, uh, Andrew Slimmon. Why don't you guys stand together? It'll be, fun. It'll be a fun fight. Why don't you do that? Yeah, we'll we do could that. bide the guest. Yeah, in fact, we have you know what? Show Whenever Wapner and other people. We have this thing on the show. They constantly book guests when they come on and sit in. I'm going to solicit guests. I'm going to poach all your guests. Karen, what are you doing later this week? Are you. Can, I, can you get up at six? No. <laughs> <laughs> that was a slap, wasn't it? I can't. That wasn't even a. Jeez, guy comes in. BK comes I, I in. Can, he comes absolutely. in coming up. Uh, big tech uh, getting wrecked in the past month. Man, that hurt. Uh, but today's bounce could be a sign the bottom is near. A top technician will be here to explain. Speaking of tech, check out uh, cloud giant Salesforce jumping after its earnings report. CEO Mark Benioff is speaking on the conference call right now. And we're going to hear from him later. Wall Street's bulls are on parade for Uber as nearly 20 analysts initiate coverage without a single sell rating. What can go wrong? And we'll tell you just how high they think the stock can ride. Much more Fast Money right after this. Hi, I'm Ben Rizzuto, wealth strategist at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of futures. At Janice Henderson, we are committed to helping you invest in a brighter future for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. Welcome back to Fast Money. Huge day for Uber on Wall Street. 19 analysts initiating coverage of the ride-sharing stock today without a single sell rating as the quiet period for underwriters of its IPO expired. Meanwhile, Lyft has just one sell rating, but the average uh, analyst price target is 50 cents below its $72 IPO price, while Uber's average price target is $53.70, about 20% above its IPO price of 45 bucks. So, which of these is the, the better trade? All I hear is they're totally different because Uber has so many of these other businesses. Right. Some people love that. Other people say these could be tough to run, too. Well, you know, it depends on who you listen to. Right. All those buy ratings out there. I was raised in Deutsche Bank's today who, who, who say, actually, this is their most interesting idea of an IPO since Facebook. Um, and and poses as much upside uh, despite, remember, Facebook's shift to mobile. Um, they say Uber's shift to margin expansion and profitability is a lot easier than the prospect Facebook faced at that point. So anyway, um, these are guys that are saying there's going to be some alleviation in the headwinds that come from this competitive uh, pricing dynamic. So rationalization in the competitive dynamic, that margins get better, that they find their way to profitability. I, I, look, right now, um, I don't see that. Um, but you know, that's what the market has to see because structurally otherwise it's very difficult to get behind this story right now. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I just don't see this path to profitability they're talking about. It seems to me there's not a lot of barriers to entries. They certainly have some kind of a platform and a network they can build, but at these valuations with very little a re, very very little um, moat around their business, to me, I, I, you know, you might be bullish. These 20 out of 29 banks might be bullish. They're going to be bullish without BCAG. But you like I, Bitcoin. Yeah, of course I like Bitcoin. Okay, all right. Uh, that makes sense. Right. Well, let me just, the, the th- I agree with them on the business model. I find it, you know, hard to really... The thing that, to me, that's amazing about this is, okay, 19 analysts all come out. They all had the very same idea within a couple of dollars of each other. They all see the situation exactly the same way. How can that be? What else is really going on? So, obviously, the underwriter group is, you know, 19, however many big. Who's 30, left to get 30, bullish? 
Who's left to get <laughs> bullish? Who's or left to buy? Right, want right. to have future business with Uber, right? So that's a part to me that just seems ridiculous. I, forgetting even with the business model, it's uh, how can you no, feel like, weird. all right, I'm getting good advice from Wall Street when uh, all of you are saying exactly the same thing. My first thought was, okay, we saw the first report, first earnings report. Nothing was different there. So between the underwriting, the first report, and now, what has changed about Uber that causes these guys all of a sudden, were they buys all the way? They were buys all the way from the IPO, I guess, because nothing's changed. Well, they yeah. thought nothing's it was going 45. If the 19 who right. did the underwriting right. thought then it was going 45, love they got to like it here. Right, you would think. So Look, we play a game on the show, Joe. Would you, by the way, I don't know what Bitcoin and Uber have to do. I mean, that was a bit of a non-sector. Well, both, which you no, no, because you said, oh, there's I mean, no profits. That. There's no worth here. There's no way to evaluate what this is worth. I'm like, you like Bitcoin. What is that? Well, it's compl- one, it's completely different. And two, well, I know Bitcoin, what, I'm not saying it's just, the same. Just so we know. Just for the But you were making sense. It was, you know. And Bitcoin is the most successful startup that we've had in the last 10 years. It has no CEO, has no company, didn't raise money. At 35, last time I was on, it was 35. You were so humble. You were like, well, you I, know, I think I actually think I said to buy it. Uh, okay. Yeah, but Maybe. whatever. We'll check the tape. Guy, were you saying something? What I was going to say was, we, you know we play a game on the show. We, I love would that you game. Rather, and although, would you rather? And, would you rather? So in okay. this case, it would be Lyft or Uber. Right. And I would say Uber, and I'd say for this reason. I understand that Lyft has rallied 18% off the low, recently made $50 or so. But the fact that Lyft was actually down on this tape today off the back of that Uber note, to me, is everything you need to know about Lyft and maybe everything you need to know about Uber. Uber's actually traded relatively well since its IPO in this environment. Well, why was the market up today, Joe? It looks like a lot of uh, short covering me. Well, and maybe it was very oversold. Look, my, my argument on Uber still remains, despite what I said, you know, leave the fundamentals aside. Who needed to buy the stock at the IPO? Seriously, everybody needed to sell the stock at the IPO. Everyone who wanted to own Uber right. in the last five years. Um, and this is the dynamic of the large liquid liquid in quotes uh, private equity market, which we now have. Uh, and Uber was out there for everybody. All right. We got to go. For more on what Wall Street is saying about Uber, go to CNBC.com. Here's what else is coming up on Fast. Stop talking. Bottoms up. Big tech feeling the heat. It's the worst performing sector in the past month. But one top technician says the bottom might be in for the market behemoths. He'll be here to explain why. Plus, feeling hot, hot, hot. And speaking of heat, this hot stock has doubled the performance of the market so far this year. And Wall Street thinks it's about to get even hotter. We've got those details when Fast Money returns. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. 
Welcome back to Fast Money. Uh, Fang, bounce, Fang bouncing back after getting hit by the antitrust scrutiny uh, targeting big tech. But those stocks are still down in the last month, with tech being the worst performing sector during that time. Dom Chu has the details from the newsroom. Dom. Well, oversold bounce, relief rally, whatever you want to call it, Joe, some of the more beaten up names in mega cap tech, retail and communication services. They did catch a bit of a bid today after those bigger losses yesterday tied to worries about regulatory antitrust scrutiny. The epicenter of all of that was the fang trade. Facebook, Amazon, Netflix and then Google parent company Alphabet will throw Apple in that mix as well. While the entire complex did get hit, the relative outperformer in the whole conversation is was Netflix. Yes, the online video streaming giant down in yesterday's session, but not nearly as much as its FANG colleagues. Some traders are looking towards it as perhaps a less risky way to stay in the market. Not because it's really less risky, but if if you look at it on the chart, the shares, they're actually still down over the last 12 months, but not by much. And it's currently one of the only FANG stocks that hasn't been placed in the headlines for reported antitrust scrutiny. Shares did manage to bounce off their 200-day moving average yesterday, or longer-term trend line for those shares. The consensus in the broader analyst community that covers these types of stocks is that there isn't a huge likelihood of any big tech breakups of these companies. The headline risks are there, though. But, Joe, for now, it seems like Netflix had dodged that particular spotlight, and it might be worthy of some consideration from traders. We'll send these back over to you. All right, Dom. Uh, thank you. Uh, let's trade it. I, uh, we were talking about how Netflix, you know, dodged the two earlier today, but I don't think of Netflix in any way, shape, or form it like an Amazon happens. or a Google no. or a Facebook. No, their biggest it, problem it, is that there's too much competition. If you want to know the truth, I don't think they're driving people out of business. Yeah. I think people right. are going to make it very difficult on them. There's so. a reason why Google is just um, on the powerful and everything else. I mean, I don't see Netflix like that. I, mean, I don't I'm, get it. I don't get it as a hedge, like hide out in right. Netflix. It's yeah. safe and the valuations. No, less of a moat there than. Well, than ex- I don't except that, what, except you know. the technicals of a fang trade money. Except for yeah, but, but if, if, I mean, what, are the odds, what are the odds if we have a weakening economy that people are going to can- cancel the Netflix subscription? It's probably one of the last things you do. So there's probably some certainty in the earnings stream, or I should say revenue stream on this. And it's probably why it traded fairly well in the sell-off. So of the fang, I, I, I agree with you. I think you take it out of the fang for the antitrust issues, and you just look at it, pure stock, take the symbol away, it actually trades really well in this environment. Don't you well, think well, we have a lighter touch in this country than, than Europe, for example, on the... We these do. are great of we do. companies. Of these we are do. great. What, what, yeah, of course we Name do. the last big, great startup in, in Europe. No, Can we, you come it, up with one? No, and if I'm agreeing with Microsoft, you. Microsoft, Google, What I would also Facebook, say is people, people look for the European indices to rebound on a relative basis. What big tech plays are heavily weighted in their indices? What is, you know, I mean, maybe SAP. I mean, you know, there's really nothing when you're buying the DAX that gives you that tech exposure. So back to Netflix, though. Um, again, you know, recession may equal more Netflix and chill. Um, but I, I think what we've seen you know in the market. Means. Yeah. yeah. I don't want to get into it, Joe. It's okay. for another show as well. But right. I, what I will say is that you've seen high multiple stocks do uh, very poorly uh, in this environment. And, I, you know, as much as we think that, that Netflix has been a defensive stock, uh, during a very difficult last 12 months for the S&P, it's underperformed the S&P by 5%. For, so for all those people, uh, I realize it's had a big day. Uh, I'm not sure that big day is in front of us. There's no question, and I've been wrong on a lot of this. Um, it's had a great run, but it's not been for a long time. All right. Well, let's, uh, our next guest says that the bottom is in now uh, for tech, and it's safe to jump back in. Let's uh, go off the charts with Rob Slimer of Fundstrat. Rob. 
Great. Thanks, Joe. So let's take a look at this. I think the key point is let's talk about the trading side of this first. And then let's nuance it and what it means for the rest of the market, rest of the sector, moving out through the balance of Q2 into Q3. So the first point, and this almost seems a little bit too cliche, we're coming right off the 200-day for the S&P 500 technology sector. It's a pretty reasonable place for the market to bounce. Right off the March lows, those are very common areas, the last major low on that last rally that we saw in the first quarter. And then, of course, when we look at these momentum indicators, this RSI, very sort of classic cliche uh, trading indicators, deeply oversold. So the setup coming into today, coming into the end of the last week, was for an oversold rebound. We see that across a lot of different risk assets. Saw emerging markets beginning to firm. We saw semiconductors beginning out to perform. So big cap tech obviously got crushed towards the end of last week, but it's part of a bottoming process in the short term that I think is going to carry out over the next couple of weeks. So let's look at a couple of names, and then we're going to end up with a longer-term view, which I think is really important here. The first is Microsoft. So obviously a huge leader starting to pull back. It's not surprising after this huge run that it had in the first quarter that you're getting some sort of pullback or consolidation. We were on the show at the end of the first quarter, into the second quarter. We were talking about a pullback, 3 to 5% for the market to develop. It's obviously been a little bit deeper than that. But that's been the view, a choppy second quarter, and it's not going to surprise us to see Microsoft work in a sideways trading range. But it's still a leadership name, and we still want to own it. So it may not be the most timely buy right here, but I think for people that own the stock, continue to hold There's not a lot of evidence that this is a long-term breakdown. So now let's take a look at Amazon, because some of the other FANG stocks get a little bit sloppy in terms of their technical profiles. Didn't get out to new highs like Amazon did. It's back around its 200-day into all that support in that 1,600-1,800 trading range. And the relative strength, to be quite honest about it, pretty sloppy. It's in a big trading range. So probably a less aggressive name to be looking at here, but we continue to think this name moves sideways. But the key point here, and the most important in terms of putting it all into perspective, I'm not sure I can clear these guys off, but... Uh, is looking at applied materials. And I continue to come back to this name because it's a perfect proxy for cyclicality in the market. What are cyclicals doing? We like the semiconductors. That's that big low in 2015 into 16, and we think that's what you're carving out right here, right off that 200-week moving average. Now, the key point is it's pulled right back to that 200-day or 200-week moving average once again. Semis in general over the last week to week and a half have have been beginning to outperform we think that's a sign that the general market is going to start a rally. We're going to get another pullback as we move into June, and then I think we take off as we get into Q3. So we're still bullish on the market. The takeaway being don't get too bearish on the broader market cycle. We think there's still more upside as we move through the back half of 2019. What do you guys think how Rob did, uh, each of you? Do we invite him over? Rob, come on over here. Come on over here. That was, uh, that was fantastic. All right. What? Well, which? Who wants to start? And what do you want to trade? Can Based I start, Joe? Is that okay? Of course you can. Well, AMAT's pretty interesting. So AMAT was a sixty-dollar stock before President Trump talked about the tariffs last March. It got cut in half. So I understand what Rob's talking about. And valuation ten and a half times forward earnings is compelling. But I think you've seen the bounce. I mean, that stock's going from thirty to basically forty-five. So I think that was the bounce. I'd be concerned about this one, saying the move already happened and maybe we're rolling over and going to test that low once again. Uh, you know, talking about Microsoft is another one of these names that we brought this up yesterday. And I think I, I would argue this is the most important stock. And I, I'll, I'll footnote Dan Nathan has pointed this out. But I, I would just say that relative to the antitrust and the DOJ crew, uh, someone who's been through this, but a stock that really has been trading like it, it had no uh, no peers, no margin pressures, and there were there you know that the cloud wasn't getting crowded as well. Microsoft. That was the name that traded back through its 50. That was the name yesterday that was most disturbing. It's traded back up to it. If that fails there, I think you watch it. 
Well, you know what? We, we invited him over, so I'm going to ask you a question. <laughs> you mentioned the fact that uh, by the back half of the year, we're going to get a rally. We've all been talking about bearishness, potentially a recession, right. all of that. Completely at odds with what, what you're saying right. here. Is there a chance the market just kind of trades in this really wide range? That's, that's my expectation. Look, we came into the end of the first quarter, beginning of the second quarter. Everything ripped off the bottom. Everything became overbought from a tactical intermediate term standpoint. All that weekly momentum uh, indicator started to peak. They're now starting to unwind. They're not deeply oversold yet, but we're getting into that zone. And it's very similar to what we saw in 2016. I'm sure there's lots of debate about where we are, but the setup is very, very similar. So I'd be very careful arguing that we've got an entire new down leg developing in the market. Certainly possible. I certainly understand the technical uh, bearish views out there. That's not my view. I think we put in a major cycle low in the fourth quarter of last year. We ripped. We're pulling back. We're unwinding that, that uh, bullishness. You're already seeing divergences. Emerging markets, Tim, you should be able to speak to this. Emerging market currencies, the dollar starting to roll over. That. The, the uh, industrials have been decimated. You saw Honeywell, Dover, uh, ITW even starting to hold. Those look like cycle lows. I'm going to take the other side of the argument. It's unusual to see two 10% corrections in a nine-month period. Supposedly it hasn't happened in 40 years. So I've seen other technicians, Katie Stockton, talking about uh, that the, the lows, the ultimate lows are in for December, and this probably isn't likely to get beyond. But, you know, then, then you've got things like the FTC and the DOJ in Mexico, and you just wonder, when do, when do you throw out the, so, the technical? So, so tons of headwinds for sure, and you can see that reflected in the technicals. But if you go back to the secular bull markets of the 50s and 60s and 80s and 90s, you get these two to three year moves and a pullback to the 200 a week. That's still the model we're using. It worked a little too well in 2016. We were looking for this correction in 2019. We think it's been front end loaded into the end of 18. And as, as Brian had mentioned, we're just going to chop around a little while. But I think be very careful getting too bullish. We th think the cycle is higher for longer. I mean, if you've got monopoly powers, don't you eventually, as a consumer, don't you eventually feel some type of getting squeezed? I mean, everything I get is free. My Google Maps, everything's free. What, where, where is the monopoly power unless you're talking about competitors, not uh, customers, right? I mean, are, I think we're going to have a light touch. I know you guys don't talk fundamentals necessarily, but do you really think we're going to kill the golden goose sure or the, go the goose that go laid the golden egg? Huh? Do you think that's what the, these, I mean, I know how populist this administration is, but do you really think we're going there to break these companies up? Do you? I don't I think so. Any, uh, yeah. <laughs> Some of them may trade even higher, though. The yeah. stock might trade higher. Facebook could trade higher. That, these are great American companies. And uh, is the flag behind me? It's right over there. <laughs> Check it out. This is not the EU. Anyway, speak up. Thank you, Rob. And um, thank, you. thank you, great Americans that we have here. Sa Salesforce, jumping off its earnings report. The CEO just spoke to CNBC's Jim Cramer. Uh, we're going to bring you those comments. Plus, General Motors uh, surging 6% for one of its best days of the year as the autos go into overdrive. More on that move when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. GM and Ford bouncing back in a big way today on hopes a deal will be reached with Mexico and the tariffs that President Trump threatened will be avoided. One trader just laid out a $1.5 million bet GM is about to floor it. Let's send it out to Mike Co. in uh, San Francisco. They say it's Coco, but I like T-Bone. T-Bone! <laughs> <laughs> How are you, Joe? Yeah, so it was interesting. We saw at least twice as many bullish no. trades in GM today. 
as bearish ones on more than two times the average daily call volume. The trade that I was referring to where they laid out nearly $1.5 million in premium was a purchase of 10,000 of the September 36 calls for $1.45 each. So the buyer of those calls would be long about $37.5 million worth of stock if it rises above that 36 level by September expiration. So presumably this is someone who's betting that the stock is going to be up at least 6%, which is approximately the break-even for this trade. And reasonably, we could say that they're probably betting on more upside than that. Hmm. All right, uh, Mike, thank you. Appreciate it. Pinto, what do you think? Yeah, I I mean, it's a pledge pin. No, I I think you have a case here where GM, for all the talk about peak autos and where we were for three years leading into it, and maybe we are, um, how about talking about resilience into non-peak autos? This company's never been better uh, balance sheet-wise and operations-wise, and maybe it's politically unpopular for what they've had to do uh, in terms of some of their operations, but they've taken difficult decisions. Mary Barra, I think, is doing a fantastic job. And as an investor, um, the valuation still is is absurdly compelling even through difficult times. It's a volatile stock. It's an industrial stock. It's a cyclical stock. But I actually think it's one you own here. Yeah. May yeah. I ask you a, a quick? I'm sorry. Can, may I ask Joe a question? I know typically it goes the other way. Yeah, the other way right. But these That's are fine. simple questions. I did this with Melissa. So mm-hmm. when you say from 2010 to current day, the stock market has done particularly well, you'd say yes, right? Um, I go I back to 1990. Okay. I didn't ask you that question, no, I, Joe. I asked you from two. Just answer the question. Yes, it has. If it's you go back to 1999, it's like 4% a year. Oh, my God. So I, I, I mean, right? It's a, okay. If That's you don't not my go question. The, if you don't go yeah. to the lows. Guys, about to beat up GM. Yeah. And I think yeah. I was going to ask, but I mean, now we only have an hour show. I was supposed to go to Karen, and you stepped all over. And I apologize. Karen will, but, and then, but, you know, we, the auto industry, I mean, this is the golden years the last decade for I think we'd all agree on that. Do you know this time in 2010, GE was a $36 stock? Yeah. You know, GM, you know where it is today? $36. You explain that one to me there, Kimosabi. Okay. I'll explain it. GE was at $60 yeah, when I got my options. It's now at Yeah, the generals. The generals. No, my point was that, sure, the market since the lows of 2008, 2009, has doubled. When you go back to 99, we're really about 4% a year, right? So we could I have more I left. I should have just let it go. I should <laughs> Karen, like I'm sorry. I'm no, sorry. Believe me, I'm sorry. Take it up with him. He's had too many gummy bears, um, which I brought in. For more options, action, check out the full show uh, Friday at 5.30 p.m. Eastern. Check out the shares of Salesforce as we head to break. That stock up over 3% after hours. We're going to hear from CEO Mark Benioff next. Plus, uh, this entertainment stock on fire this year, and traders are betting it could heat up as the summer kicks off those details when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Check out the shares of Salesforce jumping after reporting earnings. Let's uh, go to Josh Lipton in San Francisco. It's closer to where all this is happening, right? They're all out there. For more on this, hey, Josh. Hey, Joe. So, yeah, I actually, I talked to Wed uh, Bush's Steve Koenig, J- Koenig just briefly, covers the company. To him, what stood out, not just these solid Q1 results, but uh, deferred revenue came in stronger than expected, strong cash flow generation. He also noted Benioff on the call here, saying no other enterprise company uh, of his company's size is growing at this rate. Says Salesforce continues to gain share. Uh, number one, he says, in sales, service, marketing, and commerce. And Benioff just sat down with their own Jim Cramer. They talked about the quarter. They also talked about this broader um, regulatory environment we find ourselves in. Take a listen. We're following behind what the European Union is doing, Jim. The European Union is the ones who are the leaders in this area, not just in privacy with GDPR, but with their European action 
against these companies when they misuse data, misuse privacy, or take advantage of customers. I mean, there's things that have happened in our industry that are embarrassing to me. So let's clean it up and let's get back where, you know, that Facebook is not the new cigarette. For much for that, more of that interview, guys, check out Mad Money tonight at 6 p.m. Eastern. Back to you guys. Yep, we're almost, uh, almost there, Josh. Thanks. Let's trade this. Who wants to start? Well, I, I just say this. You know, he, he was critical of who else is growing like this of our size. He's right. I mean, 25% billings growth. But the problem is he's not growing. He's not growing on that. So, in other words, we've been stuck here. And, and really, it sounds like the same old refrain from what we've so far heard uh, out of these numbers. So, uh, great performance. But when your stock is trading with a multiple north of 100, people need to see and be fed more growth. That's key. I mean, to me, what sticks out is if you look at margins, 18.2%, which is a great number. Street was 17.5, I think. Second quarter guide was disappointing, but the full year guide was very good. To Tim's point, you know, if you think the market is bottom and can go sideways for a while, this stock will absolutely rally despite the valuation. But if we roll over again, the first thing people look at is the valuation, and I think it'll have that further sell-off that we've seen. I'm inclined to sell. This stock was up $5 during the day, another 4 now. My inclination is to take profits in the name. That's it? You, yeah. Yeah? I think you take profits in it. I, I agree with Tim. Listen, the, gr- the growth in this is going to be the problem. Uh, so at these valuations, I, you know, I'm a seller. Okay. Up next, uh, check out this mystery chart. I know what it huh. is. Uh-oh. <laughs> I do. Stock has more than doubled. Wow. The performance of the S&P this year. Wall Street says it could heat up this mm. summer. The name when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. The summer concert season kicking off at Governor's Ball this weekend here in New York City. The biggest player in the space is Live Nation, producing over 100 musical festivals across 40 countries, selling half a billion tickets a year. Wall Street is hot on the stock. The average analyst rating is a buy with the shares up 25% this year. Live Nation CEO and President Michael Rapino joins us uh, now. Michael, um, overall, what do you get? You can look for like 2% or something through the year, but the summer you, you do much better, don't you? And a lot of it's international too now. Yeah, we're having a really strong uh, international this year. Uh, you know, generally we're going to probably have a record year again. Ticket sales started a little slow in January, but they've really ramped up in Q2. So we're up uh, over 4% right now, year over year, and 18 was a record year. So, you know, we've been on three record years in a row. So uh, we look like another record when year for us. When did you pave the way to do it internationally more than where that becomes a key, uh, you know, sort of a profit center? You know, we, we just invest a lot of time. I mean, I always tell people when I went from Toronto to New York to London and lived there for five years, that changed my life. And I realized what a global business this is. So... You know, 42 countries, and every day we're waking up and we're expanding and launching a new ticketing platform or a new festival. So 40% of our business is now international. It's been kind of double growth in the last five years, and we think it's got and, obviously and long run. When, you, when you're a band or a performer, you don't get digital nickels when you do concerts. You still get analog dollars, don't you? Absolutely. It's real money for them. It's where they're making most of their money. And it's global. I mean, now, thanks to the Internet, you know, the 19-year-old in Colombia knows the Jonas Brothers are hot today. Yep. Yep. as well as Milan and Philadelphia. So Karen, you, you own most of the company, don't you? Or is that uh, I don't. I wish I owned most of the company. You it's own been, some of the I company. I do. It's been an extraordinary invest for a long time. So, Michael, I'm glad to have you here. No, thank you. So this business has just been, I mean, the growth's tremendous. But where do you see it growing more from here? Is it you're getting more venues under your control? Is it more per spend per visitor? I know yeah, you've been it, working on that successfully, trying to get that up every year, but where does, where's it going to come from? We, we think that it's a bit of both. I mean, we, are, we have scale. So 
98 million people went to a Live Nation show last year. We talk every year about growing that per head, a couple dollars a year. We think we still have, we're at about $20 a head. We think we have a lot of runway there. Some of the, the masters is $400 per head. So we have a lot of runway to do a better job and monetize our fan. Um, and as we just talked globally, uh, we're still a, as big as we are, we're about a 30% market share. It's still fragmented on a global basis. So you'll see us every day continue to expand and bolt on acquisitions throughout the world to grow the pie. Michael, how have you guys become such a strong partner for, for the bands? So in other words, as, you, as we talk about the secular thing in the rock and roll industry yeah. or the music industry has been um, you know, selling uh, digital or otherwise, it's really about touring, it's about merchandise. Um, explain that partnership that works so well. Yeah, you know, for, for years it was all about the record deal. For 50 years you got a record, seven-year contract, that was your life, and you kind of went on the road um, to, to sell your record. And about 10 years ago, through Napster and everything else, the economics flipped upside down. And you went on the road now to make a living, and the art is still vastly important, and you still want to have a, you know, a song on the playlist on Spotify, but you're going to build your audience, and you're going to be able to go on the road on a global basis to pay the bills. Yep. And we just, for 15 years, have stayed very focused on experience economy. Consumers want to see the experience. Artists have to go on the road, and you had a fragmented global economy uh, or, or an industry, and we kind of got ahead of it early and, and started kind of pedal down on, on, on consolidating it. I was going to ask you, I mean, who would, who's your biggest headline? Who, who would it be right now for a band? Not a, not a, a imagined band? You know, this summer. 21 is, Pilots? Uh, or? I'm going to see 21 Pilots tonight in Brooklyn. Um, we just talked Jonas Brothers before. Uh, Jonas I mean, on fire. They're on um, pre sales in Europe today yes, on can. fire. They're going to sell out like everywhere. the alt stuff, but. Uh, and BTS. I mean, there's a great example of K pop. You know, we sold out, we're selling out stadiums around the world, did two stadiums here. Um, had a billion people hit our websites the day uh, they went on sale trying to get Michael, tickets. Michael, <laughs> thank you. Great, great to have you on. They're saying things to me uh, like goodbye and get out and all this. Stuff. Anyway, uh, we already said this. Up next, thank you, Michael, thank for you. coming on set. Up next, uh, some final trades. We'll be right back. It's time for the final trade. Let's go around the horn. Kim. Joe, we were talking about great American companies. I yes. mean, General Motors at one point, and Guy made that reference back to 2010, their IPO, they were Global Motors. But the bottom line here is this is a company that has made their U.S., North American, and their pickup and SUV segment very profitable. Six times earnings. I think you can feel comfortable in this name. Okay. Well, the Fed talked about int- about inflation and increasing inflation, and you want to buy things with a limited supply. So if you're a millennial, you buy digital gold or Bitcoin. If you're a baby boomer, you buy the barbarous relic GLD. Karen. Yeah, I'm a long investor, always long, so a day like today has been good. Last month, terrible. But if we see another rally like today, S&P puts, own that volatility so you can stay long stocks. All right, Adami. So you and I are going to go to the Jonas Brothers show this summer together. Just <laughs> love the Jonas Brothers. All right. All right. Yeah, I mean, All right. you got to love the Jonas Another Brothers. great American company, ExxonMobil, <laughs> traded down to that December low, XOM. Uh, tomorrow night, I'll be back. Mad Money is coming up with Jim Cramer and Mark Benioff. Starts right now. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts.